Of the Better Yet podcast, I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet, it's a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Oh, well, Dando, well, Lemonheads, some grounding music. David Anthony's here. How you doing, David? Don't play that with me. I'm doing great, Tim. How are you doing? Freaking, I'm doing okay. I'm mostly is poking your dog with a stick. Yeah, that's fine. She keeps um, looking her paws. I know you don't. I think she's got an allergy. Every really? time I bring her to the vet, they're like, "We think it's allergies. Do you want to? Do you want to test her?" And I'm like, "Sounds like a lot of money. I think I could just poke her with a stick when I have people over for the podcast." To be honest, you know, I don't know why everyone just doesn't find that solution. Yeah. Just the solution to all your problems. I wash myself with a rag on a stick, so uh-huh. like I don't see what the problem is here. The the fat Bart Simpson, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How you do? How you doing? You doing all right? I'm doing a okay, my friend. How are yeah. you doing? I'm doing okay. I I uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this. We can cut it out. Yeah, you no, had, we can talk about. You it. had a little scare. A little Let's... bike accident. Yeah, I'm okay, Dad. My dad listens to this podcast before anybody else because he's on Dublin time. So, and he's dedicated to the work you create. Oh well, yeah, he's my dad. Exactly, I love that guy. Um, dad, I'm okay. Better yet, listeners who aren't my dad, I'm okay. <laughs> I got doored. Uh, this freaked out old man just opened the the door uh. of his '95 Ford Contour. Jesus. Right, right on me as I was riding my bike. Um, yeah, I got a little banged up, but now, now I'm in the position where it's, it's just like all of my wounds are just really itchy. Yeah, and it's dry mm-hmm. and it's winter. But you know what? Like it was, it was a, it was a real movie scene. Really? Tell you where what, was it at? It was on. Paint div- a picture for me. I was on. Diversity in the bike lane uh-huh. on my way from the cafe, Buzz Coffee Roasters and Baker, uh, Milwaukee and Diversity in Chicago. A lot of roasters, one baker. No, just come in. Come in. Just visit come Tim. in and visit me. It's so boring in the mornings. Uh, and then I was on my way to the roaster, and then, uh, and then I got hit, but I was like, I was really stressed out. Yeah. I wasn't doing so hot. Uh-huh. Like, I've been. Just having like cabin fever. 
yeah. winter stuff. It's oh. so it's so easy to feel like you got twelve things to be stressed about at all times. Yep. And then that accident happened, and it felt like you know that that moment where you've got like all the voices going, and then some big sound just cuts off all of them. Yep. Yep. Uh, having been hit several times, I, I understand that sensation. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's kind of strangely leveling in a weird way. It was, yeah, I like got off my bike and I was like, you know, mad, but not fuming. I didn't yeah. yell at the guy. I was just like, you know, caught my breath. And then I was like, you didn't look. And he was like, I know. And I'm like, just give me 20 bucks. Yeah. Let me buy some Neosporin. So, and you know, it's like, it's, I, this is like a tough time of the year, yeah. I think. And it's, it's really easy to, I always find myself in the position of like, just feeling like I'm, I need to be doing more sure. and not accepting that like, just, just do what you want to do. Totally. Totally. I mean, I, I felt like I had a really rough end of the year and into January where yeah. it's like, I wasn't really doing much anything. Work was really slow. Everything was kind of shut down. And like there was a period a couple of weeks ago where like it got really nice for a minute. And I was able to like walk around in a light jacket and ride my bike comfortably. Yeah. And I started like, you know, things started rolling in. I started, you know, having more work to do and I'm busy now and like feels good. And I have to remind myself it's going to come in waves. Yeah, and, for and sure. And that's okay. It's hard to feel it when you're hitting this point of like it's been really cold for three months yeah and you know i just want this to end i think sometimes i get like really productive and then i and then i set like large intentions for myself and then i lose some of my momentum and then i start to feel like you know all of a sudden it's like oh here are all the things that i'm not doing that i said i was gonna do and it's like you you go to work like fucking who cares yeah no i mean i i think uh I've I've talked to people about this a lot recently who work in the industry that I kind of occupy myself in, uh-huh. which is that like we've basically as a culture like found ways to weaponize productivity where like, you know, either the people, your bosses or whomever are like telling you you're never doing enough and yeah. you can never do enough to actually satisfy them. And therefore you can never do enough to satisfy yourself. And just trying to be like, hey, like if you're not up against the deadline, if you're not, you know gonna be late for something and you aren't feeling it today that's fucking okay it's totally okay and allowing your space to like find a solution that isn't powering through work and then not being happy with it yeah and like granted that's not how our our uh, society has deemed the right way to function but i think if you can allow yourself that as much as you can that kindness that you can extend to yourself is big well i think it's helpful too in in you know times like these where the weather prevents you from doing everything that you want to do to just like, you know, accept, accept where you are. And for me, it gets a little bit like, you know, postmodern where it's like, I'm on my couch and I'm worried that the thing that I'm watching isn't the thing that I should be watching or I'm watching something and I'm like, well, you should be reading Virginia Woolf. And it's like, what the fuck? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a tie-in to what you were just saying as somebody who works in the industry that you occupy yourself in. Mm -hmm. That would Mm -hmm. be my guest this week, Lior Galil 
of the no- Chicago Reader. Yeah, noted uh, blacksmith, Lior Galil, <laughs> is on the show this week. And we will get to that introduction. But first, a word from our sponsors. <sighs> Today's food blogs are so boring. Tomorrow's are going to be worse. Worse? Like yesterday's. Yesterday? Yesterday you said you were going to go to jordansomelets.com. I'll go today. You'll go now. I'll go now. Now's the time to check out jordansomelets.com, the only food blog that knows you're only as good as the last egg you cracked. Join Roswell Kidd semi-guitarist Jordan Hudkins as he takes an existential journey along post-postmodernism's ever-winding spiral staircase using a spray bottle of sriracha and a litany of context-free ironic messages, proving that the truest answers are like kind of everything and nothing all at once, I guess. Check out jordansalmas.com if you feel like it. So I'll go now? I don't know, dude. Do what you gotta do. All right. My guest this week, Lear Galil of the Chicago Reader. Lear is a features writer for one of the staples of journalism in Chicago. He's also freelance for Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, Forbes, Pop Matters, just to name a few. He is such a freaking talent. And a, a true delight of a person. Oh my God. I gotta say. He most certainly is. Uh, he's He's written some of my favorite features um about music that i can remember yeah um i think he's he's really dedicated he gets really deep into something if you follow him on instagram at i'm leor you can watch him uh just document and digitize these endless selections of uh late 80s early 90s hip-hop tapes which no one else has seemingly heard since they originally aired on radio and he came over and that was that was one of the first things that we started talking about in the kitchen was he was like you know, he had this huge project that he was working on and doing this thing and having just spent you know three or four days just reading his features on my downtime i was like oh yeah that's perfect mm-hmm. for you he writes in this way that is so all-encompassing and you know he has this sense that you know, a person, a, a, a feature article on somebody who's involved in an underground music scene. It's not just a matter of, well, here's this guy from this punk band that was around at this time. It's a history of where everything was mm-hmm. at that time it is so beyond just like the musical contributions of these people it's the the political contributions the economical the community everything and it's all you know very very aware of where these people sit in an historical sense mm-hmm. and someone who just has a mastery of being able to write about very disparate genres and connect them be it rap or emo or house or hardcore or whatever he's He's very well versed. He's not someone who I would say uh, you could be like, oh, they have that one lane. Yeah. You know, Um, I think if you're interested in any of those types of things, he understands how they intersect and how they line up because he's talked to the people who are, you know, often involved in one or both or multiple. Right. And it goes, you know, it goes back to somebody like Martine from Los Crudos, like getting this crazy history mm-hmm. of, you know, activism and like different punk communities in Chicago and all the places that Crudos were playing and forcing, you know, 
people who weren't familiar with who they were to listen to them going mm-hmm. into white scenes and being like, hey, this is what we are doing. And, you know, also like Glior has been really, really active in, in covering rap in Chicago over the past seven or eight years. So, you know, people like Chance the Rapper, the things that were happening down at the uh, Harold Washington Library, also Drill and Chief Keef, he was so heavily mm-hmm. involved in, you know, in this person who was kind of kind of picked out as as an example of someone who's bad for their community. And Lior went in there and had has just such an unbelievable eye and perspective. And it was very, very dope to have him over here to figure out where that comes from, both, you know, in his interests and in his training as a writer. So stoked to talk to a writer mm-hmm. it makes me happy yeah you never get to do that i know and it's something that i, I you know maybe we'll we'll end up doing more down the line anyway very excited we'll get to it my interview with Lior galil Weird. Now, all right, yeah. yeah. Now I know you're. That's a weird area. It is a very right weird by, area. Right by Stanley's. Yeah. Groceries. Go there. Spend twenty dollars on fruit that you got to eat before you know. Tomorrow. The end of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, I'm a little optimistic in how long my my Stanley's fruit is gonna <laughs> last me. That's such a. There's like there's so many like strange like unoccupied spots along elston yeah you know yeah there's the the great salt factory but then there's just like so it's so interesting being in a place where you know there's like there's so much consolidation of people and then you go down the street a little bit and it's just like dead zone wide open space although now that rom has instituted that uh redevelopment plan for the area around the hideout that could change is that what's going on? Yeah, and uh, there's the fear that the hideout, who knows how long it's going to be able to be there. That would suck. That would that's, be that's, fucking terrible. I know. That's a really like special place, yeah. too. And yeah. like the history of that place, too. Oh, yeah. I remember I saw Jason Isbell a couple years ago, and he was like, we always like it here in Chicago. One time when I was playing in the drive-by truckers, we had a real late night with our friends Nico Case and Kelly Hogan. They were working downstairs at the hideout. And I was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> fucking insane. All that sort of shit. Yeah, you can't – like, you're you're tapped into places like that, like yeah, the places that are longstanding. Yeah. How long have you been here? I moved here in this, in August 2009. Okay. What brought you to Chicago? I went to journalism school. Oh, yeah, I okay. went to Northwestern. North. Oh, yeah, all right. yeah. Smart one. <laughs> Is that a good journalism? I mean, they probably do everything good, right? Um, I I have mixed feelings about the program uh-huh. in general. Um, I think it's it's great. It is it is a great program. Uh-huh. Uh, it is. God, I'm gonna sound like an ass. Um, it is one of the top ranked. It's it's either that or Columbia. It's yeah, the, those are the top two journalism schools in uh-huh. the country. Um. Uh, so very shocked that I got in, but, Uh um, uh, uh, the, I applied when the economy bottomed down in 2008 Yeah, and, uh, so did everyone. Right. So (laughs) normally, oh yeah, yeah. back to school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No jobs. School it is. Right. Right. Um, Right. And, uh, usually they admitted 
their largest class size up until that point had been like 50 people uh-huh there were 90 of us yeah uh so it felt like you know they were going through growing pains at the time and they yeah quite for sure know how to how to Handle. I'm sure your your professors are the one that are like taking the brunt of it, and they're yeah, just like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. S- sorry, because they can like tell you that, yeah, they can like express like, yeah, you know, not yeah. that not that you don't all deserve to be here, right? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> right? Well, that's let's not go down that path, yeah, but uh, sure. you know, it was it was great. It was a it was a trade school, uh-huh. which is what a journalism school should be, right? They you know we had like a boot camp for a quarter, uh-huh. and then they threw us out into the open go you know go report oh yeah that's the best thing that you could be doing yeah uh so yeah we were doing the stuff that any like hard news reporter would Uh do every day uh and given that we were in grad school it didn't always go the way that you know if i were a tribune or sometimes reporter i walked into you know cps headquarters trying to get a meeting with (laughs) Uh with uh with someone on staff there yeah you you don't have quite you don't have the walking stick yet yeah exactly (laughs) like oh you're wait you're a reporter for Medill, get right. out of here. <laughs> yeah. Was it like looking back on it now, you know, with I mean, so much has happened with digitizing, like was you think it was behind the curve? Was it ahead of the curve? Is it I mean, is it it's kind of impossible yeah, to be ahead of the curve? That was the and that was the challenge with the program. Like they were good about f- realizing that they had to get ahead on technology. Mm-hmm. They didn't always go for the smartest um how am I trying to phrase this? We were taught everything. We were taught how to build what you know, build a basic website, build yeah. work with HTML and CSS. Uh-huh. Uh, we were taught to do video work. The video cameras that they told us to purchase for the program were tape-based camcorders. Oh, so okay. it looked like something that came out of the '90s, right? Because they're like, yeah, you need to know this is like industry standard. You uh-huh. need to know how to like work with this type of format, and it's like this is not going to be the industry industry standard that long. Yeah, and but you're also it's like you know looking at it, it's like well what you know what else could they have done? It's like you you hire someone to go into the field and like be the one be the one like no that's the camera that's going to work for the next twenty years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. And it turns out it's just a fucking phone. It's yeah. just a, it's just everyone's cell phone. Yeah. It's <laughs> or it's a DSLR camera. Everyone's yeah, right. using DSLR cameras. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so where did you grow up then? I grew up in uh, in the DC area. Bethesda. Okay. Bethesda. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that Maryland area code. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right on the border. So Bethesda is that? That's what? It's a northwest, immediate northwest suburbs. Okay. Uh, it's like right. Yeah. Right on the line. Like, that, are you by Chevy Chase? Yeah. Yeah. Bethesda that Chevy man? Chase. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Isn't it crazy they named a town? After I know. That guy? After that guy. They everybody says that, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody says that. He's got a I'm bank too. Guy. Chevy Chase Bank. Man, I made a fucking I made a joke to a waitress the other day that was just like it was such a dad joke. I don't remember what it was. Like, can I get you anything? And I was like, you know, like, oh, a new family, something along <laughs> those lines. And then I just like it my heart sunk. I was like, this is what it is. This is there's it's this inevitability of of being old and making shitty jokes that just pop in your head because they pop in everybody's head. I mean, I feel like I've been doing that since I was a teenager. Yeah. So yeah, for uh, sure. I'm ahead of the curve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, are your folks still there? Yeah, yeah. What uh, do they do? My mom is a social worker at uh-huh. um, National Institute of Health. Okay. My dad is director of a uh, transportation. Uh, of transportation for a small Jewish nonprofit. Oh, yeah. Well, well, how does that go? Is he like he helps get people around? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's um, uh, Jewish Council for the Aging. Uh-huh. Um, so 
because they have they work with an older population. Yeah, he organizes organizes organizes. Wow, jeez, um, <laughs> he organizes uh, transit for not only all the seniors who are you know have have something to do with the program, but also, uh-huh. I mean, he rents out uh, all their transit for Montgomery County, which is the county that Bethesda's in, and, uh-huh. and you know rents it out for anyone that needs the services. So it's a it's a little bit more complicated than just. Yeah, the, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You get along with them. Oh, I love them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's hard because you know DC's not around the corner, um, right? So that's a challenge. But um, they are incredibly encouraging, and so much of what I do and and the way that I I look at things in my work is uh-huh. I can see the in, their influence. I can see the. How fact. does that play out? You gotta. Um, ready example sure yeah i mean i like growing up they wanted me to be they wanted me and my sister to grow up in a place that was more diverse than than most of the other uh-huh. um, parts of, of the dc area they wanted me to be a part of a community both in terms of like the broader community and then i'm jewish so they wanted yeah. me to be, be involved in a jewish community they wanted me to know other jewish kids who are my age so uh-huh. we went to we're reform we went to a conservative temple because most of the Jewish other Jewish kids in my immediate area were conservative and went to that temple Uh they wanted me to understand the importance of what it meant to grow up in a community what it meant to contribute to a community and so much of the of what I appreciate in music beyond you know what the music does is how it functions within a broader community oh yeah Um, absolutely like like shows in your work the way you cover like so many scenes and like their their contributions like Thank you. just outside of music yeah um yeah well that's that's great what's your what's your sister do she works at harvard business school uh-huh you're uh, all smart uh yeah 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 uh-huh. i can't speak for myself <laughs> but yeah yeah <laughs> So, well, like, what what kind of what, was there? A lot of music in the house, a lot of culture going on. Uh, y- yeah, culture. I mean, I, you know, uh, I tell people this frequently. I was spoiled, not monetarily, but spoiled growing up where I did. Yeah, I had every museum uh-huh. at my fingertips, and they were all free. And my parents were very encouraging of me going to like they would bring me and my sister to that stuff all the time uh-huh. until it got to a point where I would be the one bringing them to the museums not yeah. you know there was a back and forth there uh-huh like my parents there was a big monet exhibit at the uh god i forget which smithsonian and my parents like w- woke up at like 4 a.m to wait in line with uh uh-huh. to wait in line with homeless people yeah who were being paid to wait in line to get tickets oh wow. for you know wealthier folks yeah. <laughs> god, that's uh, all sorts of fucked. all sorts of yeah yeah um but yeah my parents lined up because i was the hottest ticket in town it's for yeah. a smithsonian uh-huh. exhibit oh man yeah. that's so cool so man. i was like, yeah. yeah i was like monet's got good reds yeah <laughs> i was uh you know i i had that right there i had you know uh, most of my friends growing up were in sports and tickets for any athletic game were super cheap right pretty accessible like uh-huh. yeah i was right on the border of the city so going into the city was never much of a challenge uh-huh. and i didn't realize how weird it was until i left dc that dc had a healthy all ages like show circuit so once i got into music right it could i there wasn't a barrier you could go yeah. See, yeah yeah i go see a band that i wanted to see the only uh-huh. barrier was like well could i afford the ticket and then to could I afford the ticket for my dad? Because yeah. when I was younger, particularly, my parents were like, "If you're gonna go to a show here, yeah. you gotta buy your dad a ticket." Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, what was the what was the musical entry point for you then? When you when you say you're getting into punk, 
basically mm, man i mean which yeah which musical entry like there's right. so many yeah uh, like yeah, yeah. growing uh, when i was a kid um i loved elvis when i was like in elementary early elementary school yeah uh yeah i changed i my parents have a story that like in first grade i walked into their room one night and i was just like hey i want to change my name uh-huh. and they said to what and they said elvis <laughs> so for a full calendar like full school year i wrote Elvis. You must have been the most popular kid in school. Absolutely not. No, no. I mean, at that, you know, at that point, the only marker for popular or not is were you not invited to, you know, everyone invited everyone to everyone's birthdays. Right. Yeah. They didn't. Really? Oh, I definitely got invited to. Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, all right. There's, everyone's everyone's popular. Uh-huh. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's unwanted. I guess is what I yeah, should say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I've never like actually listened to Elvis. Yeah. It just seems like. I don't know. I feel like I should, but oh, it's just like, it's a, are there deep cuts or is there like, Oh, sure. Yeah. I can't tell. Like this was ages ago. And right. I just remember having like, um, one of his hits comps on uh-huh. cassette and I would just listen to that all the time. Yeah. Uh, on my like, you know, toy kid cassette player. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so, uh, so then what, what about when you're like, when you're going to shows in the city? Uh, like that? okay. Yeah. I, uh, I started going to shows when I was in my new metal phase. Uh-huh. So yeah. my first show. Such were the times. How old are you? I am 32. Yeah. 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 We were prime age. Prime. Yeah. Right, right in the middle. I had to, I kept my, uh, all my Limp Bizkit and corn CDs in a, in the Monopoly box in my bedroom and then i could only listen to it when my mom was out or when i put <laughs> headphones on and i but yeah that was that rules they, it, was, it was like so meant for us yeah yeah absolutely so you were going to see limp biscuit i didn't i've never seen limp biscuit yeah. actually but i my first show was power man 5000 oh my with God. static x uh-huh dope and chevelle and Good lineup. Yeah, my dad's review. Of it, my dad's review of it was they all sounded the same. They all yeah. played the same song. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, we, but I mean, it's, at a certain point, you start to get into like more more underground yeah. stuff. And DC's got like a real fertile oh, yeah. scene. It's I always had a real fertile yeah. scene. I saw the last U.S. Fugazi show. Oh wow! Yeah, which every every summer they would play Fort Reno, which is a longstanding outdoor concert series. It's been uh-huh. going for decades. I want to say now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think that might've been my first Fort Reno show was the final U.S. Fugazi show. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, you obviously like, you have no idea that that's like what it's going to end up being. Yeah. 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 Um, and at the time I didn't, you know, I think this was a year or two. Yeah. It was 2003, 2003, 2003, 2002. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was right after the argument Uh had come out. Um, and I was not familiar with the argument. Yeah. So it's the fucking best record they ever yeah, made. Yeah, which is funny. Yeah, it's it's my favorite album. S- so good. Uh, I remember trying to get into Repeater. Um, I was like fifteen. Oh fuck! Like with only context was Minor Threat, and I was like, "What is this?" And then the argument came out, and I got it like around the time it came out. And I was like, "Oh man." I'm going to like this a lot when I'm older and not smarter, but that was the idea back <laughs> then. Um, so were you writing then at an early age also? I, growing up, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Were you into comic books? Yeah. I'm in the sense of like, I can't tell you much about the narratives of those comic books, but I was like, look at these pictures. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Uh, I like drawing. Uh-huh. Um, were you a collector? Uh, sort of. I would collect, I would like buy 
you know, comic books, but, uh, and I like kept them in a drawer, but eventually like gave that away. Yeah. You just seem to like quickly. kind of always be on the prowl. You yeah. want to go to museums yeah. because you can. Yeah. You're, you're pursuing it's something. It's something different. It's something that opens you up to, uh, someone else's perspective and, and a part of the world that, you know, I might not be familiar with. Yeah, for sure. Then, well, you want so you want to be a cartoonist, but yeah, eventually yeah. start writing. Yeah, and I in like high school, I realized that like, oh wow, the, I'd I'd always kind of equated writing with handwriting, and uh-huh. my handwriting hasn't improved since like second grade. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So once I realized like, oh wait, this isn't the exact same yeah, you know, yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, and like, oh, this is another way I can express myself, right? And uh, and and you know, get my voice out there because at that point. I think around middle school, I kind of, my, my interest in drawing took a real backseat because uh-huh. I, uh, yeah, I, I had to take like art classes in school and the teachers weren't terribly encouraging of going off the map as far as like, right. oh, you don't want to no, do yeah. this still life right, or exactly. like that, you know, like there were, there were a couple other kids that were just like, oh, I'm in a like manga and the, and, and who are like very advanced yeah. in their, in their abilities uh-huh. and the teachers were like not terribly responsive to uh, that. That's- pretty shitty yeah yeah i mean i think i think it worked out for them i hope it worked out for them i don't know yeah yeah i would hope so too yeah so what were you writing about then when you when you started to write it was it was like i i would write letters to the editor Uh uh-huh to like the washington post and like any like just anything that had caught my eye that i was like this seems off like Uh uh-huh this is you know like this is something that that I have to say that I think is worth saying here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was it, it was much more of like a journalistic approach. And that's such a that's such a hotbed too. There's so much information going around in that area. Yeah. There's so much to latch onto. Was it was it politically like? No, it was much more like it was sports in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because what sports? Like baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do you read sports writing? Rarely. Yeah. Um. I've been, yeah. Reading, I've been reading a lot of boxing stuff lately. Oh, like interesting. Old old boxing stuff okay like. a couple years ago i wrote i, I wrote jeez i read uh-huh. <laughs> i need more of this coffee um yeah. i read uh um mailer's account of the ali fight yeah. uh which is that book is tremendous Zaire. Yeah. yeah um it's incredible yeah which it's... mailer's a bit much for me sometimes but when he's focused on a thing that he knows yeah, so yeah well. I, I i love the the that that somehow somehow the uh the heavyweight title fight in the third world country also becomes the story of norman mailer yeah but <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible just like as a document and absolutely like, and he does a really good job too of like you know we're in a really interesting place with a lot of people coming in and talking to you know i mean uh, ali himself is a is a narrative machine yeah but like gay to least did some really really good boxing stuff oh, yeah. like I, uh, I like my interest in writing started with sports and music yeah which i think are two genres of nonfiction that are just bogged down by bad writing and it took no me doubt. a really long time to, to be like oh there's good writing out there there's also these things that I still really, really enjoy reading about. You just got to like dig, find yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. Cause sports writing, it's like super sentimental. Music writing, it's like, you know, there's a list of like 20 adjectives that everybody just cycles. Pastoral. Yeah. Angular. Angular. Guitars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, it was it Luke who had a, Luke had a, a story a few years ago 
um luke out in boston uh-huh. um, uh that was just like do not like these are the terms that every music writer yeah yeah should avoid yeah because they're like, overused and like angular orwell's or orwell's politics in the english language like for writers <laughs> of music of fucking guitar rock so so you decide like that you want to go to school for this you want to pursue it that like journalism is a thing that you could do yeah uh, it was it was a thing that interested me but um it's it's crazy how at the age of 17 18 we're expected to make a, a decision of like oh for the next four years yeah you're gonna make this huge financial investment into something that might not you might go to a place that does not that is not good for you is not a good fit for you and right. do a program that does not help and i lucked out going to picking a place that was like anything everything i could ask about a, a institution which was i went to brandeis it was a liberal arts uh-huh. small liberal arts college uh that you know uh very much rewarded participation in the sense of like the more you did the more uh-huh. you got out of it it was yeah. you know it was up to you yeah definitely and and that's me saying that because i did a lot and i got a lot out of being involved yeah. in the school in the ways that i did what were you doing um i was <laughs> I was in an improv group, which uh-huh. I did not yeah, anticipate. I, I believe that. Yeah, did not did not <laughs> anticipate um, at all. But it uh-huh. like I I made some of my closest friends doing that. That had to be so much fun. It was. I, that's something I've always wanted to do. It it was. Um, it was in part because like I ended up being part of a group that like those were some of my closest friends. Still are some of my closest friends. Yeah. And uh, to a to a degree that like I was the guy who would interrupt practices to be like let's goof off this is mm-hmm. my time with you guys like i don't want to i don't want to practice You're there right there to goof yeah off. yeah exactly like i don't i don't care about trying out a scene right yeah, now yeah for sure i just want to like go and steal the members of our like closest other improv group uh-huh. um i was in a group called bad grammar and there was another group called tba yeah and you wanted we, to go steal their pig we and... yeah well yeah yeah <laughs> but their pig being a, a lovely gentleman named named dan yeah i'd be like guys we got to steal dan today uh-huh. <laughs> just like go in and grab him and run out uh <laughs> so yeah i like i did that and um my junior year me and my buddy ethan who is in my improv group um he was given these two clubs, the punk club and the rock club, uh-huh. which had essentially just disappeared. The last guy who ran those, like essentially used it to buy himself a subscription to some music magazine. Uh-huh. Like he used right. totally misuse of funds. Uh-huh. And Ethan was somehow <laughs> given these clubs because he had sort of, uh, they lay dormant for a couple of years and he wanted to book a show at one point. It was like, why don't we just use these clubs to do that yeah and so he and i um he was like hey let's let's do some let's book shows again uh-huh um so we form we combine those into the punk rock and roll club yeah and we uh we like flyered the campus being like hey if you want to book shows come we'll figure like let's figure this out together we yeah. wanted a much more democratic approach to booking music than like the you know the top down like five students are involved in booking a huge right spring and fall concerts well when you're working with it you know from that that standpoint it's like it kind of has to be democratic because you're you're doing it to see if anybody's going to be interested exactly exactly and we didn't want you know uh, especially because x number x percentage of everyone's uh of 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 the money that everyone pays goes to like student activities Uh we wanted to make sure that it wasn't like a selfish that we were the only ones getting something out of it because we were getting funding from the student financial board uh uh, which uh they were very fortunate to allow us to like pitch them on like this like please give us 
this much money like yeah. we would we would yeah. go in high uh-huh. and they would be like okay in, how about this much right yeah. and so uh we came up with an approach of like okay we were getting all these students to come to our meetings they're reaching out to these bands to get a you know to to get uh find out how much it would cost to bring them to campus uh-huh. so here's the total <laughs> right, yeah, amount yeah. like give us give us something we can work with uh-huh. and so they would give us a budget and we would go back to our club and be like all right guys here's the money we have here's a list of the bands that you've contacted who are available these dates who are available for this much money let's uh-huh. vote on who we want to come yeah so it was it was like a very democratic approach yeah and to this like goes, shows. goes back to your 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 community thing yeah and yeah it's like kind of like a fully functioning like culture right there. yeah yeah music should you know music should be open to anyone right um and i love the fact that like the people who were invested in it could get a band that they cared about yeah or that they maybe even just liked a little bit to come and we we, we managed to get we uh we booked shows in this coffee house in a castle we had a uh-huh. on yeah a, a, ca- a <laughs> castle on our campus that was like a huge selling point yeah the guy that had built it like based it on a castle in scotland uh-huh. but the person who owned the castle in scotland refused to give him the blueprints for the uh-huh. inside so there are all these like just like hallways that lead to nowhere it was <laughs> and and it was like it was a dorm it was turned into a dorm oh wow brandeis previously like that campus was housed like a veterinary school uh-huh. and so every every like room in the castle had like sinks in the bedrooms because those were like i guess operating rooms um but there was this coffee house in the in the castle which uh on the school tour so like this is the basis of chums in in friend or uh, the the coffee's coffee house is called chums the craze Uh of friends went to brandeis and they would be like this is the basis of central perk oh so it was actually yeah no it's not not true true. right not true i went to illinois state and they uh you know the the old library was now being used as something and the uh the story was that the ghost of the librarian was haunting the place and and then they would tell people on the guide like this is what the haunted librarian ghostbusters is based on that's like are you uh, come on (laughs) that is a that is a stretch i remember seeing like on that tour seeing that and just being like yeah i don't think so and then i would just see it like repeated over and over again like walking on the quad and i'd just be like yeah sure Unbelievable. That is such a yeah. I feel like yeah. Every we, that's that's something you should work on is like exposing the lies of like right. universities across the country that they tell about like the pop culture influences of yeah. their of their campus. Untrue. Yeah. Untrue. Yeah. Everyone. Untrue. Yeah. Fact yeah. <clears throat> checker. Um. Uh, so were you write you were writing about the scene then? I'm guessing. I mean, I was writing about yeah. I was writing about music for a couple of our. Uh-huh. We, we had a couple um student papers, and I was writing about whatever came of interest to me and usually was not of interest to anyone else right because i could and nobody (laughs) told me otherwise like i had an editor who'd be like well "Well, this isn't that's what you're in college for yeah just do it all so Uh, this is all just is it is it always like weird things that are you know like bits of subculture that interest you and only interest you yeah i think so i mean i also went to a school uh the nice thing about the punk rock and roll club was like, I think anyone that was interested in music was involved in it, which was a very small number of people. Right. Uh, we, you know, we had the dirty projectors play for like 75 people. Uh huh. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. In this small coffee house. Yeah. We'd girl talk play for like 200 people. That was one of our uh, larger shows yeah, yeah. Um, in a very small coffee house. And so, uh, yeah, I went to a school where people just did not seem to care about music, which is fine. Uh-huh. That's, you know, that's their prerogative. That was right. like one of my prerogatives. It was like, yeah, I care about this. So, uh-huh. 
it seemed like I would be the only one interested in writing about like Sun Kill Moon's Modest Mouse Covers album. Right. Well, I think that that kind of taps into something that I was thinking about when I was reading some of your your stuff is that you have an interest in aspects of culture where it's either, you know, a history or like a scene, um, you know, something that's overlooked or even just something that's like seemingly trivial where you, you know, find a focus point on that. And one of the things that I think is, you know, one of the strengths of what you do as a writer is that you, um, you, you start with a concept that you're just like, well, all right, now I know that you like don't really think that there should be an article about porta potties here, but here's why it matters. Does it like, is that something that just happens over time? Is that you like, you know, you figure out that like, this is what I care about. This is what I write well about. Now I have to like position in a way that it matters to other people. I think that's a that's what any journalist has to do uh-huh. is show that this is worth your time. Yeah, uh, because it generally might not ever be worth anyone. You know, that's right, that's right. sort of what you have to go. You're fighting to show to show why it matters. You're fighting with editors to show why this story matters uh-huh. because they might not recognize it, and that's that is your your end goal. Is to right, be like, this thing matters, and that's that, that's probably something that has to become you know at the forefront of your mind always yeah right yeah you don't even like think in any other terms like how to sell it and it's it's also one of those things of like the work will come to you like that that labor won't feel like labor it's something that comes out of very natural uh curiosity sure um so like you know i guess an example is um and we'll talk about the article that you did on on Martine from Los Crudos a little bit later. Martine, oh man, love that guy. Um, he's such a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, but you know the attack that you have on it is is it becomes a much bigger article than you know here's this here's this guy that was in a, an important punk band in the eighties and nineties. It becomes like you know. You walk around with this guy and you get a history of punk, you get a history of his band, you get a history of activism, and you get a, you know, an eye, a, a really good view into the way the neighborhoods have changed since that time. Is that like, you know, you there's you don't go in and, and say, all right, I know that if I talk to Martin from Los Crudos, I'm going to get information on all of this shit. It's, it's more of like you spend some time with him and... You get you start to get a sense of like that's the history that he has. Yeah, I mean, some of it in in the case of that story, if you want to talk about it right yeah. now. Um, yeah, I mean, we might yeah. as well <laughs> to such an extent. I mean, it's like I, I'm still like getting out of the, you know, the idea that it's got to be chronological, right? Which is also something that you do really well. Is that you have a way of of you know your features have several arcs going at one time and they all you're there's a really good ability there to just keep it going and it doesn't have to be like you know it doesn't have to stay in a certain formula you just got to keep in mind like what's happening throughout it right right, right. and that's also uh one i have a tremendous editor philip montoro is like uh-huh. the best editor i've ever worked with yeah one of the best out there i think he deserves so much more credit than he ever gets yeah 
uh i want so much good to come for him because he's and also he's a tremendous writer and i wish he wrote more phil's a really good writer phil's a great writer um yeah his like he wrote a beer metal column for the reader that like he because of timing had because of you know constraints had to give up which is yeah uh upsetting as somebody that doesn't even drink it's just like i you know like i i saw how much he cared about and how much he put into it and and like he was able to to create an interest like even even for somebody that me that doesn't drink it was like this is very interesting yeah and i had people coming up to talk to me about his columns Uh, you know what i mean and that's 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 a mark of a of a great you know of a of a great idea and somebody like really like especially with some like it's so hard to get people to just read it and to get people to talk about it yeah it's like keep getting them to pay attention right and he certainly had that and hopefully he'll return to that at some point yeah um but philip is a tremendous editor and he's a really good guide um and 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 really encouraging and so he's helped me kind of figure out how to shape things like that but also you know being somebody who reads a lot of other music writing i don't want i want i want to be able to write a story for somebody that knows nothing about the subject and somebody who's read every story about the subject yep so i want to avoid it doing the normal as as much as possible right or if i I do the normal i i want to do it differently right exactly so 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 you you have this idea to go around with with martine and is it is it really just like let's go to the places that you played and then yeah yeah the story kind of tells itself um yeah it was um i maximum rock and roll put out that crudos um compilation yeah a couple years ago and i picked it up and uh I love punk zine culture. I love punk uh, culture for so many things. Yeah. And then there are things about it that are as, as like uh, somebody who loves documenting cultures are extremely frustrating Um, Uh specifically in terms of like zine culture and and communication, which is like, it feels like reading when you're reading like a, you know, like an old zine that you're dropping in on a personal conversation, which is amazing. Yeah. But if you don't know, anything about it it's it's easy to lose the details right yeah it's super um, hard. and and that's reflected in like the liner notes for that uh you know the crudos compilation which was like it was written by people who cared deeply about crudos uh-huh. and as somebody that was you know familiar with their catalog i understood what they were saying for the right. most part but if i didn't know anything about this band it'd be like i've no no clue what you're you know what you're talking about in right some of the assumption there is that like yeah. if you're reading this you obviously know right this yeah yeah and yeah so so you give you give a view into into this guy that you know has just been up and down this city yeah. in, in so many different neighborhoods and like his band is so politically active and and they have a real real admirable intention to just go into places where they normally would not be and fucking play for people yeah and bring different worlds together yeah you know if punks are gonna if Northside punks are gonna come to pilsen and never otherwise come to pilsen let's show them what the people of pilsen are all about right and it's it was wild you know from from a purely Chicago music based standpoint to just see like, you know, oh, you you ping the spot where they play a show with, you know, a band like Braid. Yeah. And, you know, oh, okay, well here's where they play with like some touch and go people. And it, oh, it, you know, here's a here's where Super Chunk would have played in nineteen ninety four. And 
Yeah, I mean, that's like, I think that that's a really, really fascinating aspect to a lot of the work that you that you do is that is that you have a way of of finding people who are you know so deeply involved in something that you you know like I, that that mark mark uh was it grusain grusain yeah i don't care about dance music i cared after that that's great <laughs> that's i mean you know that's part of the intention is like okay you might not know about this uh-huh. maybe maybe you should you know change or at least at least learn about it or, or open yourself up to the possibility that this might be a thing that's interesting to you or right. show you what this one person's role in kind of the broader like cultural output of chicago yeah means. just how, how deeply the world like functions yeah. from within it yeah were there people that you came across like in you know in studying that you saw as I'm trying to avoid the the Marin question, like who are your guys? But um, you know, like like your work reminds me of Studs Terkel a lot. Oh wow, okay. And then Damn. he, uh, you know, he found he just had this way of finding the people yeah. who had the best information and the right. best stories to tell. Were there were you were you finding people like in college that were that were doing something that that piqued your interest in a way of like, oh, what if I applied this to like. DIY music, hmm. or is it you, you've, been, you've been you've been doing things like through a, a journalistic lens for as long as you have that you see like a you see a spot where that approach has not been taken. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a, a blend of of that. Yeah, it's it's me approaching journalism through. Uh, coming from like much more of an interest in, in punk and much more of an interest in in music and also approaching music with kind of like hard news yeah um, style training uh-huh. and seeing how to blend them seeing how to get the best out of both that challenges like traditional music writing and challenges traditional news reporting yeah because I'm also trying to trying to show that like arts reporting, is as vital and important as hard news it's it's different you know i'm not reporting on um right like on, no but nobody's like it's not life or death with yeah sometimes know. i'm writing an obituary some you know right, sometimes sure. there is there, uh-huh. there are aspects of hard news reporting that i i'm capable of doing yeah you know, i went to see keith get uh mm-hmm. um sentenced to 60 days in juvie for yeah. the you know for violating his parole for doing a pitchfork interview and I could write about things that wow. that was that was like five years ago now. Yeah, geez, time really. Well, I, I yeah. wanted to talk about Keith too because I, you yeah. know, where where you kind of start to pick up with the reader um, is, you know, you've got you've got hip hop, which was was hip hop a thing for you like early on? Like yeah. you you were always interested. It's, in it? it it goes back and forth. I mean, the first cd i ever bought was big willie style yeah. me and my sister oh, split man. split that yeah yeah i mean you know the same age uh-huh. will smith was like he was the, so cool n- yeah nothing yeah. else like him so i can't like who's the will smith wow i sound so old who's the will smith for kids today but really like will smith <laughs> could do and his you know his you know say what you will about his rapping on big willie style but he did you know he acted he rapped he he was like the superstar when he, when he got that mtv award and he was like i didn't kill nobody on my records i didn't i don't use profanity on my records yeah. and then eminem was like yo fuck this guy <laughs> which was cool yeah 
okay, you know, where you pick up with with hip hop in in Chicago, yeah. it's kind of the you know you enter it in like 2011 2012 and you've got like the the lupe and and cool kids world and then there's also drill right and keith of course like you know he comes out of that and you cover him a lot just because he's such a kind of hot button yeah artist yeah um and i i think that like you're you seem to have an intention with him of getting into what's actually happening with with this person trying to trying to show trying to show him as a person Uh because so infrequently is that seen in chicago to a degree you know they're the people they're his fans but in terms of media exposure uh which is where i'm most concerned with how to cover rappers it's like uh-huh. the tribune publishes ap copy of like well chief keith got arrested for having weed on him at some airport and it's like right you are not sh- like you are willing to publish something that um uh is going to bring in readers because this person is a famous person but you're not also showing why he is famous in the first you're not you're not providing critical insights into why anyone would want to read about him in the first place right you are are just using his name in a place of uh you know uh, because his current legal situation is you know there's there's some sort of allure there uh-huh. um well yeah and, and it's also you know it's another rapper who can't stay out of jail right and i don't want to i don't you know i don't want to show that obviously it's true and you can't ignore right when somebody gets locked up uh-huh. you know for you know for good reason but i don't not i do not want to lean into stereotypes about any like about anyone right uh that's my job is to show where the fault lies in mm-hmm in promoting stereotypes as if right yeah and i think that your you know your coverage of him and your analysis of his art his your critical analysis of his art and you know the aspects of it that are immediately turning people off and immediately like deciding like no this is this is a bad thing for you know the neighborhood that we don't pay attention to right and i guess you know I think that that's obviously coverage that's that's helpful and it's good and you know from a number of standpoints um you know one of them just being too that like it's good to have a rapper being covered and taken seriously yeah um is there is there an awareness to being you know a white guy that's covering hip hop culture and like are you like what kind of what kind of uh, you know self editing are you doing in terms of like making sure that you're not tokenizing that you're not patronizing that you're not like you know I think you do a really good job of like not excusing but also like not writing off so what 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 goes into that for for you I know I'm an outsider uh-huh. in general I mean I and I think that's always been my uh, approach to any scene that i cover is that yeah i'm an outsider to a degree especially if i'm going to cover it i can't be involved in this scene in a way that would make it impossible for me to like i can't befriend 
uh-huh. people. I I can you know I can be friendly with them obviously, right. yeah. But I can't like can't hang out with them in a way that it's just like in a way I they they can't be the person that I call if I need a you know a shoulder uh-huh. to cry on. Yeah, you know what I mean. So there's there's always a <laughs> sense of like of of distance, and obviously as a white person, I'm much more aware of right that I'm you know I'm also a Jewish person, so a lot of the musicians that I cover don't quite, you know, there, there are discrepancies in my experience versus theirs. Uh Um, and that's just something that I've, I'm, you know, it's, it's second nature that that's, yeah, it all goes into the the things that you learn. Yeah. The, the intentions that you keep from the beginning. Yeah. And like, look, man, Jews in this country aren't in as bad as a, well, now things are, are starting to feel, uh less less great obviously but uh i you know i grew up not having to be in fear of somebody learning my like ethnic and and religious and yeah identity but Uh there's a long history of that not being the case right yeah uh and so i i you know i'm i'm aware of and and i'm sure to you know keep keep the people's like heritage in mind and, i mean and, that's kind of that's, you know, that's one of the things too that like you kind of you can't not carry that yeah i mean that's and that's like not that going not that like a history of of, of oppression right is you know there are lesson there's a lesson to learn here but yeah, they're yeah. like one of the takeaways of of so much like violence and 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 destruction in like the cultural and historical <laughs> legacy yeah, of the jews yeah. is like I'm not going to be privy to, I, I do not want to anyone to be in that position again. Right. I do not want to do that to anyone mm-hmm. and anyone else that has been through suffering. I want to not make it harder. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, on a lighter note, <laughs> Chance the Rapper is somebody that you were covering. Yeah very you know pretty in, in, intently from the beginning yeah that had to just be so wild to witness yeah it's uh it it was very it like that there's nothing quite like that i mean with so many of the artists that i cover with you know from the get-go they all take their own paths but that was like i remember the day that uh um acid rap came out and uh-huh. going to the you know the public listening party i'd been to a private one like a handful of days before uh-huh. um and seeing the line outside juggernaut which is the streetwear store downtown where he was having right. a public listening party and signing and everything and the line around the corner and just the, so the energy of the place is like this is nobody's seen anything like this yeah nobody has seen this kind of very uh quick and like emotional response to a piece of music that just came out. It's, it's interesting too. like, um, you know, I think, I think there, that's a real select few that, that we've, you know, been witness to as just like, it's 30 year olds. So that, that, that emotional response that you see in, in someone, you see someone, that's so magnetic and it's, it's, you know, something that I think, you know, we're, we're always kind of, trying to like figure out like how does that happen it's i mean it's i mean genuine obviously uh and and he's somebody that is unique in in the in the ways that he's been able to capture yeah that and also express himself and and 
kind of uh, get people who haven't been through what he's been through right to care so deeply about that yeah um it's yeah it's it's really something else and i think that like your framing of him is always is always really solid too because you never i mean obviously you're you know publishing in something with chicago in the name but you know his upbringing and and his place like in the city is representative of so much and i think that you you know it that's an that's like something that needs to be put down too within any sort of coverage of of somebody and he's somebody who puts that on like it is so obvious to me and it is so obvious i like to think it's obvious to a lot of people around here that like chicago is just like in the pores of his music and in everything that he does I don't know that it's always evident to other people. I remember mm. sometime after Acid Rap came out and hanging out with a buddy of mine from back east and his younger brother, and we were talking about music, and, and his younger brother was like, "Oh, I thought Chance is from New York." Uh huh. Which like, like what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you if you're if you're listening uh-huh. to the to the lyrics, yeah. and he's referencing very Chicago things, but uh-huh. again, that's you know, right? If maybe you're not paying attention, you know, he's he's a level of artist where, yeah, he's. Yeah, you don't have to know anything about music to know uh-huh. that he's a person that people care about and are listening to, and you can put him on the background and maybe not, yeah, get some of the some of the deeper um, reference points and, and deeper uh, right. emotional narratives. I mean, there's still to this day narratives in like you know he raps a lot about seeing his one of his close friends get stabbed to death in front of him, right? Uh, and so many people that I talk to just like that that is not even a thing that they were aware of yeah and i think that like you know the way you did a feature on on acid rap too and i you know made reference to what you did in it earlier but where it's you know like that that incident and his dad and and how like those tie together and those color your perspective on uh or color his perspective and it, and it all just like kind of comes together one of the things i that you do when you do often is that you present and I, I'm always like thankful for the, the feature that doesn't take the extra paragraph to tie it together and to add the writer's like own sentimentality. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me how it's, very easy i think for people to um lose sight of the idea that like your job is to tell what happens not what it represents right and so often in the sentimental like wrap up it's about the person writing it and i've certainly yeah, been yeah, yeah, yeah i've yeah. i've been i've been guilty of adding that paragraph at the end just because i don't know how to wrap it up and unfortunately right. again i have a great editor is like you probably don't want this in and i'll look back and like you're right we should cut that you know like it's that's that's what it's it means to work with a great editor and that's all phil yeah so it's it's (laughs) one too that like you like i think that you're a lot of your features do a really good job of you know taking the like modern like content driven like like you need to have links to videos or you need to have like something some sort of content like integrated into the feature but your features read long form they're they're you know it's most often things like you know 
the five dance songs that you should hear that are related to this guy right. come after a single paragraph of like who that guy is. But right. I like your integration of like, you know, long form and then we'll hit him with the content. Right, right. That's, I mean, that's, I'm the one that finds that stuff. Phil, yeah, Philip is always like, yeah, yeah, we need to be aware we need, of this. We need to have this and stuff I'm, too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm certainly aware of that too. It's just, uh, you know, in the planning, it's usually the, la- the, the thing comes last unless we're, working with like we're hopefully going to be doing more video again there was a point where we had access to a video team Uh um and they were amazing collaborators and i was some of my favorite stories were like me and the video guys going to like uh dj spin's place oh cool down in uh down in the south suburbs and doing a video with like the guys in footwork like uh-huh. the titans of footwork talking about dj rashad oh, in spin's man. basement yeah. and like working on songs together and uh-huh. i was just like how to, like this yeah. is my job right and we got this great video out of it like uh-huh. so hopefully we're going to be doing more of that again at some point but uh, yeah yeah oh, yeah that's so cool. yeah exactly uh-huh. i love i love that's a, you know that's part of my job is to tell stories and uh-huh wow i sound that's very cliche um but cool. you know it's figuring out like what's the best way to do a story right and it's not always the straightforward narrative it's not always like writing well yeah and and i think that um you know something that that your approach like you know played out very well to you uh you know when you were talking about crudos referred to uh you know you want something that somebody who's read everything is getting something out of and somebody who has never heard it is getting something out of too. And like looking back at the coverage that you had of, of emo in Chicago, I think it was a really good example where it's like, like I know all those people and I know all those places and your approach to it was, you know, you get you very quickly get it out. Like, you know, th- this isn't what you think of when you think of emo. It's actually this thing that came before that thing. Right. But th- you know, then you, you get into, you really get into like the economy of all of it and the culture and the way it like self sustains. And you know, that's, that's something that's so helpful of a perspective, you know, thinking about the way the music industry is just bleeding out of every orifice right now and to see that you know you have these bands that are playing in basements and they're able to chart because they figured out how to cultivate it and then you go to the place where they've been doing it and that was that was super enlightening and super thorough and you know from my standpoint like i wasn't reading any of that stuff and thinking like Oh, come on. Like, this is just, he's just glossing over so much of the good stuff. Right, right. And I think that's, that, that is a challenge for any, uh, particularly music writers, uh, where it's so easy to get kind of siloed and to put blinders up to what's going on to the world outside right. of that small scene that you're in. Yeah. That was a challenge of, and has been a challenge for anyone writing about emo revival, quote unquote, in particular. Yeah. Is like, there's all the conversation of like oh there's no revival it's always been here it's like well this is less for the people who have been invested in this scene when you know Algernon was barely a band right this is about what this particular community means in the grander scheme of pop music where uh-huh. emo was effectively dead and emo was last in a very different place yeah exactly like we 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 love the Algernon demo yeah like we get it yeah but like 
if you if you take the end and then go from there it suddenly reaches so much and you can totally give like what you need to to Algernon. it is interesting though like seeing it and seeing you know how it's grown from that like those articles were like five years old and now <laughs> all you know a lot of the bands and a lot of the bands that came after are now playing at the metro and stuff right, like that right. and then you see the coverage that's just like you know somebody who got into it three years ago is just like oh man you wouldn't believe this stuff yeah it's it's and yeah it's incredible i mean they keep making those yeah like the the list music yeah, yeah well yeah, also yeah. just like you know they're younger people coming up we're aging right. obviously yeah. oh, God. uh and so are the so are the kids who are going to be interested in mm-hmm. the you know yeah in those bands like how many how many like young people are gonna be like oh glockamora they're like they like, were the they like, should yeah they should though they were the yeah no but no but but but, but be like oh they're legends you know in a way oh, and yeah. it's just like that's, that's a band that i so saw wild. play at summer camp to like right. 40 people <laughs> yeah, absolutely um i think you know if there's anything that kind of culminates all of it and culminates the way that you uh approach writing in in the sense that you do it's it's the jawbreaker oral history oh man yeah so um you know how does how does that start is that a pitch of yours that is uh jessica hopper uh uh-huh. coming to me and saying i want you to do this just pure appearance sure. like no problem yeah yeah that was like that was mind-blowing yeah um in so many i mean like jessica is a friend right she's somebody that i like yeah i can like call she's somebody that i can call if i need something yeah well that's if good I'm, which is but it's uh, insane for me to think about because yeah, like absolutely Un- you know unbelievable yeah. journalist well and also you're talking about like your people you know yeah she is she has very much been somebody that like i admired for uh-huh. her work for ages yeah like somebody that i was like this is this is what journal like you can do as a like as a cultural journal right. journalist yeah like the pragmatism in in what she writes down is just unbelievable it's and, such a good perspective and and just being able to write from a particular perspective and be open about that and uh-huh. be critical about the world around you right in a way that also shows that like i care about this thing which is yeah. obviously core to any critic like right if you're on film reviewer you are going to love film and therefore that is the reason that you can write so you know passion hopefully passionately and intellectually about right but something yeah but i think that like you know her perspective is is one where she's she's aware to an extent that like a big part of her love for the subject is wanting it to be better yeah and I think that, like, you know, it's, like, especially with music journalism, like, yeah, everybody loves music, but, like, you, you it's got to be more than that. You have to be able to do more than just say, like, the song makes me feel good. Right. Or, you know, I don't like this band. They're not great. Right. I always loved her perspective. And, like, when that book came out, I just devoured it. And it was just like, fuck, what a thinker. Yeah. So she says, she says, I want you to do this thing. Yeah. She called me up. She's like, Hey, I want you to, I want you to do an oral history of Jawbreaker. Uh-huh. That's like not a thing that I could say no to. Yeah. Just straight up. No. Uh huh. Yeah. There's, and, and that was at a particular, like I worked on that story at a, 
pretty intense period of my life work-wise uh-huh. where I just like wasn't sleeping because I was working so hard. I was also yeah. doing, as I was wrapping that up or like kind of in the middle of it, uh, the Washington Post reached out to me to do a story about Fugazi for uh-huh. the demo, like oh, the yeah. proper demo release. Uh-huh. So I put my, you know, that's yeah, my hometown paper. That, right. Yeah. That's, oh, that's man. one of my favorite band, you know, like, uh-huh. and I was, I was going hard at the reader. Yeah. Um, uh, because I, was I full time? No, I was basic. I was I was like I was on staff, but I was like essentially as part time as you could be without uh-huh. being full time. I, I was at like thirty eight hours, and I was like really pushing to to get more out of that. Yeah, and I was also just like doing way too much for the reader than is like mentally and physically Are you <laughs> responsible. At that now? Yeah, I think so because yeah. I kind of crashed after all this. But I did like this huge piece on DJ Rashad, uh-huh. or like there was in. I finished the jawbreaker thing at like I started in August and finished it at the end of October, beginning of November uh-huh. around the same time that I turned in the Fugazi piece that I turned yeah. in this DJ Rashad piece and like the Rashad piece and the Fugazi piece came out within a week of each other. And it's just like this, like uh-huh. both emotional, like <laughs> it was yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's very, every, every everything like, came like, out. Yeah. And I mean, like, <laughs> You know, looking at like the things that you're interested in, like it doesn't get much like bigger than those two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was, yeah, there was, and there was all that stuff. And I was, I was up for a job at the New York Times uh-huh. as a pop reporter. Yeah. Um, like I was, uh, yeah, and and that was kind of hanging over my head this whole time. I right. was, yeah, I was, I was doing too much. Yeah. There the, was fall kind of like slipped through my fingers and i love fall i love the smell of fall i love right. fall activities and just like i was working constantly yeah so now you got like you, know, you got like four months yeah. to, to reflect on what a hectic life you're yeah you've I, just been living and what you missed out on i just like i crashed for uh-huh. months after that yeah. um which it's it one of the lessons of that was like yeah figure out how to do better yeah at, yeah, at managing sure. your time and, and while also pushing yourself and growing right it's yeah it's 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 good to give a hundred percent. Yeah. It's just a terrible idea to do more yeah. than that. But you know, all that said, but also, I, yeah, actually, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jess. I'm kind of busy right now. I yeah. There's, there was no way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also because of that story, I was able to afford a laptop that I desperately needed Yeah, because mine was like coming apart. And uh-huh. how was I going to be able to do the work yeah. that I needed to do <laughs> without a lap? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Like that, that was everything like some that. real life injects yeah. oh my god how crazy to consider yeah <laughs> uh so you know and also it gave me like uh, part of what i do what i do is not only like learning about the things that i care about and like what brought them there but learning about the people in the most mundane ways i would have conversations with adam fowler about like you know i think the giants had won yeah. the you know the world series uh-huh. around that time and and just like talking to him about that and like that's gonna be big for newspaper you. industry like we yeah. you know we had this these like very genuinely great conversations none he of it made it so sweet he is he, the nicest man yeah um i did a q a with them yeah, at the logan I was, I was there oh god i'm sorry yeah. no <laughs> which well, one I, wait which which screening I was, at the, I was at the nighttime i was at the the, the second the second one, one. okay so where you, we were yeah you were yeah. talking talking uh before yeah and like everything that they said was well you know it's a little weird that you you know we're saying this before you watch the movie right 
And then there was like a couple of those questions where it's like, get out of my face. Get out of here. Look <laughs> at how annoyed everybody is. Especially yeah. Jawbreaker and Leor. <laughs> it was, but that was like mind blown. I was, I was like fighting off uh, some flu like thing. And I, uh-huh. yeah, it was just like the timing was terrible. And yeah. all the guys were in the band were like super sweet uh-huh. and super nice. And then at the end, I was like, by the way, I did that thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because I like I hadn't talked to them in, in right. a while. Yeah. Um. And they were just like I'd I'd run into them at Riot Fest before uh, they got like I ran into Blake the uh-huh. first day. Yeah. And he just like gave me this like big handshake and uh-huh. had this huge grin on his face. I was right. Like, what What planet am I on? Yeah. So so it was everything everything phone based. Yeah. You uh, yeah. It was all over the phone. Um. So what <laughs> one of the things that was that was like super enlightening about that movie was that you know. I knew that there was one character in that band, and I didn't know <laughs> there were two, three, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Adam, Adam, yeah, he's he's a character, but he doesn't have a freaking like medieval uh, dungeon collection in his basement. Um, so, I mean, you you're talking to like some pretty interesting people at what was like what was the what was the like state of you know the collective three at that time at that time blake blake was a little hard to get a hold of at the time yeah um i don't know what he was going through but it he very fortunately you know agreed to talk to me right um and it was a it was a nice conversation but i could tell it wasn't necessarily one that he was a hundred percent happy to be involved in documentary yeah oh my god when they're playing the songs and he's just zoning not not into it yeah it's so intriguing did you get you get much of an insight into like what was going on yeah yeah like uh, to i mean not at the time that we were like i didn't really know what was happening in his life at that point right um but he did give me some like pretty pretty interesting details for what it was like living in the bay you know i was yeah, i wasn't yeah. necessarily interested in like well what was the tone of your guitar on this right you know, on right this album i was more just like tell me about your life in oakland and you know x y uh-huh. you know this person told me this about you like what yeah. you know uh so getting all these little little tidbits and little scraps um was insightful in the in the in terms of the broader scheme of what of the story that i was putting together right um did you and you, you probably knew that you wanted to, you know, it wasn't going to start with. Um, and then we called up Steve Albini. Right, right. Especially with like, that's, that record is so contextual. Yeah. And like, I, I love that you start with his throat. That's like the, that's like the, the fourth member of the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's impossible to not talk about. Right. <laughs> and, and then the Bay too. Yeah. There's, and there's so much that we had to cut out. Like, I think the first draft I turned in was like 30,000 words. Uh-huh. Holy so shit. yeah, there's a bunch that we cut out. <laughs> I think I think it was still seventeen thousand words. Yeah, it's not. 18, it's 000. not short. It's not short. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm I'm glad we were able to fit. So in. you know, when you're talking to to the three of them, obviously a lot has changed since then. But uh, you know, how surprised were you that those changes like ended up happening that they got back together did you did you like you know finish that thing and thinking like man there's no chance that they're gonna i mean it was surprising yeah but it also seen i i think the most surprising thing about 
it was about the the reunion and everything was just how happy they all seemed yeah to be yeah um i got I mean, that too yeah adam adam like throughout talking he was like this is my favorite band jawbreaker is my favorite band which is amazing to be that's, a member yeah. of your favorite band uh-huh. that's incredible yeah not everyone else felt that way right <laughs> uh yeah. so to certainly to, not to see them uh-huh. kind of express the same uh joy together to be together that just was was amazing like right. to to know that like they're happy to be there was really great because there were periods where they just weren't even happy to be to have this legacy yeah in that the, seemed like such a daunting aspect of it especially for blake is yeah. that he he just wants everybody to move on chris too chris yeah. i was you know chris i was talking to he's just like i don't really listen to that stuff be you know uh-huh. like blake is very forward-looking yeah and like blake was also involved in new musical projects in olympia right you know he's talking like i remember he told me he's like i'm in a band and this is the first time since working with blake that i've been able to work with somebody that like kind of fulfills yeah. me creatively in that band shorebirds yeah. with maddie canino that one lp so fucking good but nobody really yeah nobody really uh matched blake and adam Right. Which was also, you know, in retrospect, it's like, okay, I could see how that happened because, like, clearly there's, like, a respect and some reverence and also a, a real understanding of a meaningful connection between that person yeah. and between these people that, regardless of the animosity that existed, he's still able to tap into. Yeah. Um, and Chris is uh, more than any of the other members, I think, to, quite open about his his own trial like he he was telling me about like during that like he like watching documentaries like oh no you're about to go through some some hell like he Uh went through some really tough periods after yeah after that the the filming occurred Um, yeah geez yeah and he's like sober and and uh he's doing well now but yeah there were periods where he wasn't yeah yeah yeah. that's good It, it was like it was just cool to see it like when that came out i mean that was just such a godsend when you when you put that that oral history out because it's like I mean I I I love that medium and I think it's like the best way to tell it and like you know looking back at it too and you know looking at it through the perspective of like the way you write it's just like yes like this is this is this is Leor's Leor's direction is is very very clear here and it's really really great work. Um, I mean I just I I love what I love about oral histories, it's, it's a puzzle. Yeah. But the pieces are constantly changing. Right. Uh, right. And you know, it, doesn't, the edges. it doesn't, it doesn't fit like, you no, know. no, it doesn't fit the way you want it to. And, uh-huh. uh, the, the real challenge, I, I, I mean, I understand why some people do the oral histories where it's just like, here are a chunk of quotes. And then here's like a paragraph explaining what happens. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. I like, I, I understand either. why that happens, but yeah. it feels like you're cutting corners. Yeah, totally. Let the people tell tell the narrative and like and obviously that's a huge challenge yeah uh because people don't talk in a way that's like here's a linear narrative and it's gonna fit perfectly with what this other person's saying yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah and it's and it's it's like it's not exactly what you want it to be but you gotta be like this is how this is how it is yeah it's how it is yeah so how you know you you pointed you uh referred to getting bogged down a little bit you're doing you're doing all right with it now yeah you yeah i think so happy with the the way it's rolling and to and a degree things. i mean um 
the just like the world of journalism is frightening right, right now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, nobody is telling me not to pursue the stories that I want to pursue. Yeah. No one's directing me. Uh-huh. I have an editor, obviously, that I respect and, you know, um, I love working with. Right. He's it's not a happy s- marriage. Yeah, yeah. He's not telling me, don't do the things that you want to do. Yeah. He's giving me critical feedback uh-huh. and saying, maybe think about this, maybe do this. But it's very much like, he's not like, hey, here's this press release. I want you to write about something that you don't give a shit about. Right. Because he, trusts, he trusts me. Yeah. And I, I love the reader as a publication for that because I, there's an awareness that seems to come out of that entire paper that's like, you know, we are what we are and like you meet us at our level. And I respect that a lot. Yeah. And like the, uh, you know, I think that paper like colors everything in a, in a really, really good way. And it's really great, like foundational piece of the city. And I is everything good there yeah for the time being yeah. i mean we have new ownership um it saved us from an an uncertain and possibly like deathly fate if, yeah um if we had been purchased along with the sun times by trunk uh-huh there there was a real fear on my part that we would have been killed immediately yeah because they already have uh, a free paper that they turn into a weekly focused on entertainment that was you know they tried to position as a direct competitor of the reader despite the fact that we're not purely entertainment right and kind of killed the you know red eye they 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 killed so much of what made that thing special yeah totally. i mean my buddy josh was doing great you know great music reporting josh is fantastic yeah before him was my buddy Ernest. like they both legitimized this paper that still new you know it's it's a young paper Right. And they showed what it meant to report on a community and what it meant to report on a city and report on people that were otherwise ignored by the mainstream press. Yeah. They did a lot of great work. Uh, and they just, they took essentially, a, you know, this, they, they took gold and said, this gold is, is worthless to right. us. Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, this is because the city's a breathing and functioning thing. Yeah. And, and, and it needs, it needs place. It needs outlets like that yeah to to showcase it and to you know keep you aware that like so much is happening all the time yeah we're in a we're in a metropolitan area that's what close to four million yeah this city deserves way more of a healthy media environment to serve the population it doesn't you know it's not serving the people on the south and west sides right at all i don't think it's doing a great service to those on the north side too there's so much happening that doesn't get covered doesn't get you know nobody's providing that context particularly after dna info was killed also gone yeah dna info was doing the hard really you know detailed difficult detailed work of showing what was happening throughout the city yeah that's so crucial to having a a a healthy (laughs) healthy uh participant like population yeah it's it's a part of the democratic process yeah do you feel is it hard to feel like you're not just like screaming into the void? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, like we kind of all are. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Um it you know, because I don't often I don't know who's reading. Right. You know, there there obviously we have like charts of like who's reading like how many people are reading something online. I don't yeah, know how yeah. many of them are invested in, in what they're reading. I don't know who they are, which is fine. I don't 
I think I pay attention to that more, way more than I should. I think I shouldn't pay attention to it at all. Yeah. Because that, I don't pay attention to fucking anything that's as good. far as people that like listen yeah. to this thing. That's not like, because then you can place importance where it shouldn't be. Right. I'm not, obviously I want as many people to read about something that I put work into as possible because right, I think course. it's worthwhile. Yeah, I think you think it's, it's worthwhile and like yeah. it's, it's you know, it's it's not you. It's yeah. the story and the people that are involved in it. Yeah, but getting getting those eyeballs is not my first priority. Yeah. Getting the story right. Uh-huh. That's the priority. Yeah, for doing, sure. Doing the best job that I can is the priority. Doing the job that I think nobody else can do, that's that's what I think is part of my job because why else if if somebody else could do it what the fuck am i doing right yeah i love it yeah you're doing good thank you, you are doing good thank you i appreciate it was it. nice to have you over yeah thank you for having me yeah she's asleep but oh my god i think we were entertaining uh, uh, <laughs> yeah she's awake uh i'm cool. gonna hug you All right. Hey, damn. Great stuff from Lior. You read the things he writes and the amount of care he puts into covering his subjects on the scale with which he works. And it's clear that this is someone who is in tune to the macro levels of importance that musicians can serve to their communities, to their economies, to activism. Lior also has this tremendous gift uh, for seeing people and movements as a part of history that needs documentation. I think that approach, that journalistic sense in his reporting is really special. It reaches beyond so much of what music criticism often concerns itself with. Thankful for the chance to talk about all this stuff and to get to know the homie. The good boy. Yeah. With David's still here. That was pretty good, right? Uh-huh. Check out Lior Galil online. Lior Galil dot contently.com twitter at i am leor the chicago reader can be found at chicagoreader.com support publications like this and others that serve your community subscribe to this podcast on itunes rate it write a review tell a friend about the show like it on facebook you can send me a message on there twitter is at better yet pod trying to get to 420 followers i don't even smoke weed please get 420 and then you win and then I win. That's and when you get the money. Check out As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio featuring yours truly and, and David. And me, baby. And <laughs> buy a t-shirt. I don't know. However you buy the t-shirts. Check us out on Bandcamp. Better yet, podcast.bandcamp.com. And thank you so much. Thank you, Lior. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, David. And thank all of you who keep coming back who keep sharing the show with friends. It's very special to me. Take care of yourselves this week and come back next week. Thanks, Bubbles. <laughs>